0: welcome back to psychics and Sidekicks with me Sean Bennett your host and today I'm joined by Marie Miller of the House of Kellen. and Marie has um, as many facets she's uh, she's been a psychic professional psychic reader she does animal uh, conversations speaks with animals communicates with them and has done a number of other things all in the psychic realm now I think the best person to introduce Marie is actually Marie. So Marie, thank you very much for joining me today. I expand on that little bit of information, if you will, that I've given to the listeners.
1: And thank you so much for having me. It's such a joy to share about the Psychic realm. I actually started seeing ghosts when I was about three. So I had a lot of long conversations with a grandmother of mine who had passed on. And I just, to me, it was just kind of normal. And I was really blessed that when I would speak and say things about this around my mom, she did not freak out like many parents do. She just went, she had this really calm energy and almost like she would go, "Uh Oh, and like kind of, you know, drift out of the room. And I learned later it was that she was trying to figure out what to do to support me because she knew better than to freak me out. And she would eventually just buy me books like young adult books on witchcraft and just give them to me. So of course I ended up being pagan. And cause that was like a really good influence. But then when I was getting a little bit older, I started to live a little bit in the future. I would tease my sister like, oh, your stupid boyfriend's calling. And then the phone would ring like two minutes later. (laughs) And that annoyed her, but I didn't care if I annoyed her. So that was also another good thing around like being, being able to really accept my gifts. And I turned out I really liked having these things. So as an adult, I just kept nurturing them and growing them. And when you really nurture and grow one of your gifts and another one's going to come along, the thing with pet healing happened because there was a tarot client I had who one night emailed me in the middle of the night. It's like, oh my gosh, Marie, my dog's really sick. I don't know what to do. And can you please, please talk to her? And I'm like, oh, well, I've never done this before, but I love this client. So I'll try. And it turned out I really had a knack for it. So I just really worked on developing that. Which is good because before that I was actually terrified of dogs.
0: Right. And okay. we am going to come back to that. Mm-hmm. Save the one about animals because I, I've had a conversation already with somebody else that talks to animals. And that was really fascinating. So you've, you've struck two goals for me so far. One is talking to ghosts as a child. And I'd like to explore that a little bit more. And then the animals as well. We'll, um, we'll make sure that we cover both of those while we're talking.
1: Yeah. The ghosts, it was funny. I didn't even think of it as anything abnormal. I didn't even realize they were ghosts at the time was part of it. My mom knew who I was talking to. Cause they'd be like, Oh, grandma, Elizabeth said that or this. And so it took me a well while to even gain understanding. And that was just such a normal part of my life. Yeah. And then when I became an adult there was a period in time where the ghost activity really escalated. And this is a thing that I've actually since come to learn that understanding ghosts is a part of most of our spiritual awakenings. Like there is a point where a vibration raises to a point where, where they can see us and we can see them a lot easier. hmm. And in order to get your next set of lessons, we need to understand that there is an unseen world that exists and accept it and be fearless with it and move on. And for me, it was when I was working in all these different theaters in San Diego, out in California, and I just kept getting ghosts attached to me and I had to learn, which is a little bit different than just seeing them. They were actually attaching to me attaching, so yeah. Yeah. deeper methods to get rid of them. And then there was one point where I really wanted to go swing dancing with this group. And a friend of mine at work kept saying, oh, you got to come to the this, this swing dance. And so I did. But I walk in and I'm changing into my, my special shoes. I look up and there is a demon attached to every single person in the room. And so, oh, well, not <laughs> Hey, then. So then I had to go learn how to how to deal with those on a different level. And of course, told my friend and like talked to the person on the space and helped them clear it. And that was just because there had been a cult that used that space years before. Yeah. So they thought the swing dancing was like the old ritual starting again. Because the these these entities would not leave with the people. So when I saw my friend at work, he would be fine. But when he was there, there was that attachment.
0: Okay and how when you see in the attachment how do you determine whether they're a demon or not
1: Oh they have a different vibration but that comes with practice They they literally look a different look differently and they are they have I want to say like sort of an evil intention to them when they are a demon versus just a wayward right or just a yeah. ghost because people become ghosts by accident like, it's, there's, usually, there's usually nothing bad. It's like, oops, I forgot to cross over sort of thing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: as opposed to someone who's here for, for a bad reason.
0: Right, okay. So one one forgets to cross over, the the other one is intentionally sticking around to yep. be a little bit of a devil. Yep. Pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've kind of jumped from being a child to yep. an adult. But how did that affect you growing up? It's it's good that your mum had a a level of acceptance or understanding and sort of shied away from it or supported you with it and, and took time not to freak you out. But what about as you started to grow? I mean, being a teenager and seeing these kind of things, how did that affect you?
1: You know... On another level, I was bullied enough that I just became really tough and didn't care what people thought. Mm-hmm. And so I just accepted the fact that I was a little bit of a weirdo, but I didn't I also didn't talk about these things in in junior high or high school. I did do a science project on psychokinetics, which isn't terribly science sciencey, but my teacher let it pass. And that was the most, I guess, out I was about in high school. There was just this feeling of like this is a thing that you need to keep secret. And so even with my good friends in high school, I was not open with them about these. So I was just working on my gifts in secret. And even in college, I was still keeping it kind of quiet. It was a big thing when I was finally able to tell my peers and walk into a party like, hey, by the way, I have these abilities and I'm psychic and I can see ghosts.
0: And how old are you when that was, when that happened?
1: When I was doing it with strangers, yeah, I was in my 30s. The only people who knew I was psychic in my 20s were really good friends. Yeah. Like I would sometimes do tarot readings at parties.
0: I was going to ask actually, is that the sort of thing that once you, you let the cat out of the bag, I mean, you get this: oh, do this for me, do that for me, find out this person, or make a connection. Do you get that sort of demand?
1: Yeah. When I was first watching parts like, Oh yeah, I'm psychic and which was great. It felt great. People like, Oh, prove it. I'm like, So I finally learned to say I'm not on the clock. You can book a session.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's the best way. Absolutely is. It
1: really is. I'm like, here's where you can find me and here's how much it
0: costs. Yeah. So when you uh, as an adult started, um, using your abilities uh, for, for whatever but yeah, it be that for financial gain or for just for extending curiosity. Where did that take you? What avenues did you end up going down or rabbit holes even when you started doing that?
1: So I, I started with doing just well, tarot and runes. I was doing both of them, but mostly, mm-hmm. mostly the tarot. Most also, because a lot of people then heard of runes. So when you give people the choice, they're going to gravitate towards tarot because it's more popular. And it was really just practicing that over and over and over again and playing with crystals. And I was doing a lot of things on my own and I didn't know where to get training yep. until I discovered Theta Healing as a modality. and Because I knew I wanted to also go into some sort of energy healing modality, but I couldn't find one that resonated until until I found Theta. And I went with that one because that was the one that cured my migraines. And it's focused on you know, changing the belief system so the body can heal. And I've seen some miraculous healings, but it also has this beautiful side effect of just blowing wide open all of your psychic gifts. The class I'm teaching tomorrow is the one where this is the first one where the students really access a lot of new gifts that they haven't had before, or they were unaware that they had.
0: Yeah. So that's theta healing. Um, And where does that fit in the hierarchy of healing in the spiritual world?
1: I consider it to be an open source modality because it blends really well with other modalities. Like if you're already doing Reiki, if you're already doing other work, it will pretty much amplify what you're already doing. One of the biggest things I noticed when I first started doing Theta Healing is that my ghost busting, like when I would clear a house, went from taking an hour to two hours sometimes for the really tricky ones to 30 seconds. So I stopped charging separately for it because it was such a drastic thing. It's still a valuable thing, service that I do, but now I just tack it on to the beginning or end of a session. And it really does have a lot of beautiful shortcuts to certain things.
0: Okay. So I've done I understand Reiki. I've I've done my Reiki first. I've started to sort of get a little bit more of an understanding. And and part of that journey for me is this whole thing is about learning and development and sharing my journey of learning and development with other people and tapping into people like yourself, the, um, shall I say the, the, the more adept at the things that you do. And, um, you've heard of another one called Andromeda healing. Have you heard of that? Is that, Um, or could that possibly be just a, a localized thing?
1: I am not familiar with it.
0: Right. When I was told about it, I was told, I asked what it was and the explanation I was giving it was like Reiki on steroids. So I'm just thinking, does that equate to something like you're talking about? You're, you're referencing it as theta healing. It's like an accelerated.
1: Yeah, it is fairly accelerated. Some parts of it do take a little bit of work though, because. Mm -hmm from the client because we lead them on a journey of discovery to figure out like what the beliefs are that are present in them. Yeah. So as opposed to some other modalities where it's more, more passive and the client just gets to receive, we actually do help you discover things and it's different from therapy. A lot of, I've had one client say that a session could be worth like a few years of therapy because we go in a different direction. We go deeper and we're looking for things that traditional therapists aren't looking for. Yeah. And I have had people ask me if I'm doing Reiki on them because they will sometimes perceive it or it will feel in their body like they receive in a Reiki session, even though I'm not tuned to it. So yeah. that's usually on people who already have taken or are already tuned tuned for, tuned for Reiki. So one of the beautiful things is it oftentimes will come into the person's body and the way that they most like to receive a healing, which is really cool.
0: Interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. I'm going to just, let's jump out of that one, leave that one where it is for now, because I'm sure if I've got more questions, we'll never get to pets and animals. And as a lover of dogs, we've got two dogs at home, but as as a lover of dogs, I just sometimes think, you know, the dog looks at me. And I look at him and I don't say anything, but he just goes and does something. And it's like, is there a communication there? And if there is, how do I know what I'm communicating just by looking at him for him to react in a certain way? Over to you. (laughs) Tell me what's going on.
1: (laughs) There's several layers of communication that happen between us and our animals. Like for one, because they're always trying to please us, right? They do love us unconditionally. That's one of the reasons why we get pets. Um, and that's how I learned what unconditional love felt like was by getting this very special cat. And so one of the ways is though, they'll actually, when they, when they're licking our hands or when they're, when they're licking our face, they're actually like checking our DNA and checking on our health and seeing what mood are in, tasting our pheromones and things like that. Yep. So there's like that whole chemical level of communication. And also we do have an emotional and a psychic bond with them. Like they know how, how we feel. And when we're in certain moods, they're either going to come to us or they're going to go away from us. An example would be my cat. When I first got here, I would have periods of depressions and she'd be like a harbinger for me. The day before I was about to go into another like depressive cycle, she would snuggle me so hard. She'd be like Velcro on me. Mm -hmm. And that was because she was trying to heal it before it started for me. Because that's the other thing too is when they bond to you, then they will start healing you. And they will actually take on diseases. There's been a lot of cases where a dog will die of a certain disease or a cat. And then you'll find out a few months later that the human also had it. And what we do for that before we make everybody in the audience really sad is we make sure that we're like healing our pets back and also keeping us healthy. So if someone comes to me with a sick pet, I'm like, you know, like with the kidney thing and it's a dog who's young, you know, like if, if it's not an older dog, I'm like, hey, have has everyone in your family been checked for this? And who is this dog bonded to? And what kind of relationships do you have?
0: Yeah, that, that does make sense. Um, mm-hmm. One of ours is, uh, it is the only surviving one of a litter and he was the runt of the litter he's got little sort of twisty legs and he almost kind of walks slightly crabbing so it's like his backside's to the left of his head when he's walking and i i just i find it really really cute but he's he's such a wonderful loving dog in there's not an ounce of badness in him and i just think you know when when the runt of the litter like that is so the survivor what has it done what has, what's the rest of the litter gone through and you know what's what's been taken from the mum or by the mum for it to end up in that kind of a position
1: yeah i'm not actually sure i don't always ask i just bring as much healing because every cat i've had has always been the run to the litter i do scent to tend to go for those because they i swear they're always the sweetest ones mhm Yeah, I know for my, mo- Yeah. Even with cats, cause yeah, it's hard. It's hard for the, for those pet moms to lose all those babies. Yeah. But at the same time, they have a lot of understanding.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yes. I, I've considered when I, when I get more into the Reiki and, um, I will progress and I'll, I'll do the level two and that, but, um, just, getting to understand it practicing it on myself for now but whether I would do that with the dogs and
1: well dogs love reiki they love all the energy we can give them there's a lot of different ways and the more the more healing and love we give them the more that they can love us back and i've seen some real miracles i had a, a client whose dog was a little bit older And so one of the things, this is a whole side note, is I've learned how to see a death door for someone to know when they have an opportunity to leave. I can't predict if they're going to take it or not. But like this lady's dog had this, all these opportunities that were shown, like the, the timeline of this dog, but we kept healing him and he kept just going past all of them for two years. So he, yeah. So dogs that receive energy work and healing work will actually live, you know, two to three years longer and be happier and healthier. Just by getting all these clearings from us. Excellent. Mm-hmm.
0: The the lady that I spoke to before that um, really sort of would open my eyes to the fact that you could communicate with pets. Like I mean, I've heard of dog whisperers and horse whisperers and things, but I suppose this is putting it into a little bit of a reality because I'm talking to somebody that that understands the communication better, and it was a real eye opener as to how she explained how she first discovered it. And um, it was basically with a horse stopping her from leaving the paddock because the food had all been upturned and mm-hmm. and their feeding trough was empty. And oh. the horse literally sort of spoke to her, stopped her from going and made her go back. And she was like, how, how does that even happen? But the more people I talked to, and I've had a couple of other people who've touched on this with animals, and you just start to think, there is so much more to it. There's so many more levels mm-hmm. to everything around us than what we just see in this existence that we've got right now, isn't there?
1: Yeah, there is. There's so much more communication going on with the world and with us than we've really consciously realized.
0: Right. Where else am I going to take this? This is really interesting. What other practices or activities have you undertaken so far?
1: When I was in college, I had I studied with a, with a local shaman. We studied Nordic shamanism, so it was all based or, or Germanic shamanism. And I've translated that into currently studying Asteru. So that's when I picked up learning the runes. So I learned a lot of really beautiful breathing practices, a lot of the good basics from that person. And then I've also trained myself in using tuning forks to heal.
0: Okay. Oh, Fun. So the sort that of things you use for for music. Mm-hmm.
1: And I've also been playing with, just on the whole music thing, doing more healing through tones and sounds and a static dance, which isn't really psychic training. It's more on the healing side.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I understand that you have a program that you work with people who have an ability or a sensitivity. Things a lot of people refer to it as a sensitivity. So you kind of you know there's something going on. Or well, you know there's something a little bit different, but you're not really sure. Maybe a little bit freaked out about calling it psychic. Mm-hmm. How do you work with people in that field? How how do you approach it and make them comfortable with what's going on?
1: Well, yeah, with, with that group of people, I just talk about like, what are the little whispers or things that pop in your head without using the words? Because the word psychic triggers a lot of people because a lot of people have been really in danger for being psychic. There's a lot of strong opinions about using these, the abilities. So I have several different programs, but the one you're referring to, the, the claim your magic is about. Meeting weekly and doing bite-sized things, and a lot of what I'm doing is clearing the way, the space, because everyone has some sort of natural gift, but our modern world is so full of extra noise, and we don't realize all the noise that's there. Yep. An example being, if your house is really messy, like everything has a vibration, and if it's unorganized as opposed to a collection, right? then it's going to be louder psychic noise. And you just, so one of the things I do is just, if you clear away all this extra noise, it leaves space for you to really listen to the messages. Mm -hmm. So I also talk more about, you know, using your intuition as opposed to receiving psychic messages. So part of it's in the framing, but I also know how to help people clear away any trauma they may have had. I know a lot of people who have a gift come in, and that traumatizes them and we just need to reverse all of that and i also work with people who may have gone to a festival or gone to a retreat and done some plant medicine or other things and it will sometimes push your gifts open in a way that they don't want to be opened and it can become really really overwhelming and so there's
0: Uh, i have a kind of too much too soon
1: too much too soon so yeah. there, there's a way to reverse that and bring it back to how it wants to come That's
0: in. Interesting stuff. When you're in my position, and I describe myself as openly curious, events and activities that I've got involved in over the last year or so have opened um, my mind and my eyes and my ears a lot.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a concept that I teach on every once in a while, divine timing, right? And the way that I teach it, it's not always about trying to understand what it is that you're going to do. Divine timing being of course your soul's purpose, but understanding what the steps towards it feel like. So teaching people how to understand those signs and to know the feeling of I should turn my car around. Yeah. And that I think is the more important thing. Cause like in general, people get a little obsessed with quests. Like I'm looking for my soulmate sort of thing. Yeah. As opposed to loving myself and trusting that they're, that they're going to come. Yeah. Those are good. That's a beautiful story. I'm getting tingles as you were telling me about standing on the
0: campus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a
1: big confirmation. You're doing the right thing.
0: I was getting them recounting it as well. It uh, it really does just. I, don't know. I I can't even describe the feeling. And somebody said for a note out, and it, it was just felt afterwards that I needed to say something without being specific too specific about it. But saying if I, you know, if I'm drawn to do this to a stranger or for a stranger, then. I hope that if you consider me to be a friend, and you feel that way, that pick the bloody phone up and come, you know, give me a call. And um, and somebody said it must have been terrifying for you, and it absolutely wasn't. And yeah, you get the adrenaline, but it just seemed so natural and automatic to do what I did.
1: Mm-hmm. And I found that to be true in those moments, those things that we came here to do when we're really here to help someone. That there is that, that absolute clarity in the moment. Yeah. And it's, it's not even a choice. Like, of course, I'm going to do this thing.
0: Yeah. So where does that take us? Um, you know, how does somebody, and I suppose it, it'd be a question really for, for, for myself, be relevant to me, how does somebody process that? You what mean, advice bro- would you give to somebody?
1: Well, first I'd ask him like, how are they feeling about it? Like, is this was this a good? Or are you talking about you being the helper or the the man that you were helping?
0: Uh, yeah. Well, I suppose somebody that that is drawn to do something like that to you know because the hundreds of cars drive past and and went past in the we were there for just over an hour with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and so many people went past, and, okay, at, that, at, at a certain point, they wouldn't want to stop or feel the need to mm-hmm. stop because they could see it was under control and, you know, the emergency services were there. Yeah. But in that time building up, so many people will have just driven past. But certain people were drawn to stop.
1: Well, yeah, I feel that, yeah, not everyone is drawn to help. Some people are afraid to help. Like... I was on vacation. This is, I'll come back around to, and um, I saw that one of the people in my group was having like a spiritual crisis. We were in a temple in Egypt and she was just shaking. And so I went over and just grabbed her hand, grabbed her soul, put it back in her body because I was drawn to that. And there were three or four other people that were helping. And a bunch of people just didn't know what to do. And so I think the people who aren't stopping, they're just, they just feel like I don't know what to do in that situation. But in a lot of situations, what people need the most is just to know that someone is there and to have unconditional love and to know that they're, that they're safe and accepted and loved. Yeah. And that there is a possibility for change because the clients that I've had who were close to those sorts of decisions, the biggest emotion that people feel is stuck. Like that this isn't going to end. Things aren't going to get better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think too, just really being heard.
0: Yeah. Interesting stuff.
1: Yeah.
0: So that, <clears throat> over there, we've, we've covered ghost busting. We've not really done that, have we? You've touched on it a little bit, but how, how, how did you find ghost busting? worked for you with the abilities that you have?
1: I was actually doing it mostly remotely. And this was after I was going through some of those lessons And I got really good at actually removing ghosts. Cause before that I could just talk to them Mm -hmm. and they were just a part of my life. So it was a whole nother lesson to actually send them up into the light. And actually what happened is my mom's friends in in a different state in a different part of the world would be like, Hey, can you have your daughter do this? And so I would do it remotely for these people, which is really fun. And then I had friends and one of my themes has been people like, Oh, you can do this. Right. And that's like the first time I do it. Cause you know, one of the ways that we understand our gifts is other people will see them in us and ask us and ask us to do it. If we weren't aware enough to realize it. And that's kind of how it started for me. People just asked, you know, started asking me to do it. And so I was clearing all these houses around San Diego. And when I was doing it pre-theta, it would take a little bit of a while. I would go on. I would meditate. I would connect. I would listen to them. I would help them uh, release their different feelings so they could move on. And now my process is much easier. I literally just witness them going up and then I reconnect with them where they're at. Mm-hmm and and have any conversations that are needed and that's because i gain the understanding that when they're here when they're trapped between the third and the fourth plane between you know here and where they're supposed to be that they're literally at the wrong vibration so there's a, a certain amount of discomfort in them that makes the conversations a little bit trickier and also when they go into that light and they transform and they move on there's also a level of clearing so for a, ton, a lot of so a lot for a lot of reasons they're easier to talk to if you just reconnect with them on the other side. So yeah, and honestly,
0: it's, you make it sound so easy.
1: <laughs> it's it's honestly it's a test of your faith. It really is yeah. about understanding that you have the ability to command them and you have nothing to fear from them, and that you don't need to live in fear, and that um, all you have to do is connect to whatever your higher power is, your source, if it's universe, whatever and using their power to send this person on.
0: Yeah, interesting. I want to tell you something else that I've done recently as well. Uh, well, didn't quite do it, we didn't get there. But um, some somebody who I had a conversation with uh, a few weeks ago, he told me that I had a, an ability and it was an ability to see, so if, say for example, I went into an old building or an old warehouse to see how it was in the past, and to be able to visualise what that what it looked like and what work went on in there. So and um, so he's going to work with me to try and teach me how to open that up and and that, and to find that ability. But we also attempted to do a past life regression, mm-hmm. and I struggled, really struggled, to sort of get into the visualisation that he was trying to sort of explain to me that I needed to, do. we were doing it remotely. Mm-hmm. But um, so after a little while of attempting me to do this, we sort of stopped, we paused it, opened my eyes again, and we had another conversation. And he said something really strange was going on because his, he was doing it on his mobile phone. So he mm-hmm. was just literally looking at his mobile phone on the front-facing camera. But it started zooming in on it, and the camera apparently doesn't have a zoom on it, but it was, like, zooming in onto his face. And (laughs) the only thing I could think of is that at the time he was saying it, it he was explaining what I should be seeing. Mm -hmm. And I was really focusing really, really hard to try and see what he was explaining because I couldn't see anything. All I could just see was blackness. so. (laughs) <laughs> we, we didn't get anywhere, but something weird went on with his phone and his mm-hmm. camera on his phone. We had a couple of goes and um, just got nowhere with it other than that one thing happening. Mm-hmm.
1: It's interesting how much psychic energy can interfere with electronics. Mm-hmm. I've seen in class students when they freak out about something, they'll just blink out, their internet will go down, and we just wait for them to come back. But also, um, past lives are always pretty interesting. Partially because sometimes when we tap into, so the information around past lives is stored in the same place as our some of our some of our further back ancestors. So there's a whole pool of, of past lives. So, what, sometimes when you're diving into them, you may not actually be picking up on one that was literally yours, just one that you resonate with. So I always have some caution around that. The method that I find is best for tuning into past lives has more to do with you recognizing people that you know. And it started happening to me just by default. Like I'd meet a new person. I'd be looking at them and, Oh, they had a second face superimposed on their face. And so I just sort of like spontaneously seeing the face that I knew them by in another lifetime. And that's actually something that we train our students to do in one of our classes that if you really relax and if you're open to it, and if you look sort of into someone's right eye or past their right side, it makes it a little bit easier for, for them to see that old face and to reconnect to that person that you knew at that other time and place. But wow. as far as like the healing goes, so I don't do a lot of past life regressions. I can, yeah. but when it comes to, like doing the belief work and doing the healing. We spent a lot of time with the ancestors, but we actually don't carry a lot of our BS forward from past lives. Cause when we go up to that light, we get to go through all these beautiful lessons and we get to heal a lot of that. So we're actually more influenced by our genetics because our parents were in their in their problems, in their issues when they had us.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Super. Wow, I'm amazed actually that we've covered so many things in the, in the, the short time that we uh, that we've been talking. I think I want to park it there, Marie, if I can. That's but fine. like I say to so many people, because this is such a fascinating um, topic that I'm working on, I'd love to process what we've talked about, mm-hmm. probably to pick up one or two items to uh, to do a bit more of a deeper conversation about and, and dig into that and have you back on it sometime in the future if you would.
1: That would be amazing. Like I said, this is this is my whole life now. I teach these kind of things all day long. So I can go pretty I can go deeper on any of them.
0: <laughs> Proper busman's then for you. <laughs> no that's superb. Thank you very much, Marie. Uh it, it's been an absolute pleasure. Nice to share some things and a lot Couple of sort of thought processes and feelings as well with somebody. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting you back on.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: So before I do let you go, uh, is there anything uh, information wise that you would like to share with the listeners? And, um, you know, if you want, I'll get all of your socials off of your website anyway. But is there anything else, any messages or any links that you'd like to share verbally? <laughs>
1: I mean, the biggest message which i think you said we've heard before is that everyone has some magic everyone can access these gifts and play with them even if you're not going to become a professional like me right it's not everyone's path but if you want to follow me and all the weird things i do it's house of kellen is my business name and that's k-e-l-l-e-n and you can find it on instagram tiktok facebook or house of fantastic
0: thank you very much It's been an absolute pleasure, Marie. Thank you, and I will speak to you soon.